Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey everyone, welcome back to Seeking Witchcraft. As always, it's me, your host, Ashley. And today I have on Eric, who's going to be discussing altered states of consciousness using entheogens. He's also going to be giving some ideas for a recipe using mugwort that you can use to help get into an altered state that you can use for different trance work things or coven things or ritual things or things that I can't really think off the top of my head because this is not my area of expertise, <laughs> but more on that later. But uh, first, yeah, let's welcome to Eric to the show. So Eric, please introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Eric. I'm a Cardinarian witch living out here in Seattle, and I'm also seeking a fairy. I'm, I'm an amateur herbalist. I like making meads and infuse liqueurs and ointments and incense and oils and all sorts of fun stuff like that to see how it affects my, my body and my spirit and to unlock doors to, into different spiritual realms. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit like, so what is fairy? That's actually something I haven't heard of before. Certainly. I can speak a little bit about that. Um, fairy is an American tradition of witchcraft. Um, and that's, there are a couple different spellings. The, the one that the founder, uh, Victor Anderson, uh, wrote it as F-E-R-I. And he explained that as that it was a combination of two words, F-E, fe, and ri. And fe, he said, meant psychic, and ri meant work. So it was the work of a psychic. And it was, a, it was an American form of witchcraft that um, uh, he started developing um, shortly after Gardner came out with Gardnerian. Um, but um, he was initiated into uh, a coven in like the 30s in, in, in Ashland, Oregon. And uh, he started developing fairy, what would become fairy in like the, uh, the 50s, 60s, and 70s with his wife, Cora Anderson. And together they created this um, very small tradition uh, of witchcraft that um, was very kind of shamanistic, if one could use the term. Um, it was very animistic and it was about... Um, being free and ecstatic and becoming a powerful sorcerer in one's own right as a, as a person. So, and a lot of fairy do um, experiment with, uh, or did experiment with, and probably continue to do so, uh, various drugs of the psychedelic era, like LSD and acid and, and marijuana and all sorts of wonderful things by calling out the spirits of these psychedelics to have interesting experiences with the gods. And, and seeking fairy means that um, much like um, one is a seeker of Gardnerian or any tradition, uh, it means that I, I'm currently seeking to be trained by a fairy teacher. I was um, being trained in fairy before I was initiated into Gardnerian, but I took I put my fairy training on hold when I got initiated because it was just too much of a spiritual and psychic struggle to do university and try to train in two different spiritual traditions. Oh, yeah, I can. Uh, I can absolutely believe that. <laughs> when I was uh, seeking in my group, my outer court, I was just finishing up grad school. And I was in my last semester, I was writing my thesis. And I also had three other jobs at the same time. I had a fourth one, I ended yeah. up having to cut that because I was like, uh, -uh it's a little too much. Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. I remember going to my outer court meetings and saying to everybody like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to pass. I'm going to fail. <laughs> and they were like, no, you'll be fine. And I was fine. I ended up graduating, but it was, it was a lot of uh, informational overload for sure. So I can understand how that also can be informational overload while being in school and being trained in two different traditions. Yes, but one day I'll I'll go back to it. My my high priest is also trained in fairy, so I I have connections everywhere into into fairyland. Awesome. Uh, out of curiosity, do you, this is kind of off topic. Do you know off the top of your head if anybody was interested in that, how they could find someone who teaches that? There are ways of finding it. Finding Anderson uh, people who practice Anderson fairy can be a little difficult. Um, 
there are, there are books that the books that you can read. Um, there's Fifty Years in the Fairy Tradition by Cora Anderson. There's Heart of the Initiate by Victor and Cora Anderson. And there are two books of poetry that are very important that Victor wrote. One is called Thorns of the Blood Rose, and the other one is um, Lilith's Garden. And the last book is called Etheric Anatomy by Victor Anderson, which I think even if you're not seeking fairy, every witch needs to read Etheric Anatomy. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, should we jump right into the topic? Yes, let's do it. We're talking about entheogens. <laughs> um, entheogens uh, uh, are substances that are taken to bring one into a sacred altered state. And they are typically substance, herbal substances that are smoked or chewed, eaten, rubbed on the skin, or made into um, alcoholic tinctures or teas that you drink and they alter your perception so that you can um, perceive spirits and receive prophetic utterances much more easily than you would if you were sober. And the word entheogen um, comes from the Greek. It's, a, it's a, a, a modern combination of some Greek words that basically mean uh, to become divinely inspired. They've been used for ages. <laughs> Humans have always gotten high. We've, we've always been drinking alcohol and smoking that weird plant over there that made the monkeys high because they ate it or, or whatever. Um, our ancestors probably did a lot of tasting various things and passing on their experiences or alternatively dying. <laughs> uh, and that's how we did a lot of our learning uh, millennia ago or millennia and thousands and millions of years ago. Uh, they probably observed animals getting drunk on fermented berries, eating strange fungi and other plants, and the animals were having a, a lovely time and fucking and, and um, dancing about. And so humans said, well, it didn't kill them. We can take it too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's, it's interesting. So we're, we're talking about altered states of consciousness and people immediately think of like, you know, smoking weed or drinking or taking acid or whatever you want to, you know, get high off of. But I think one of the things I learned very early on into me looking into witchcraft in general is I went to this um, workshop at a pagan pride and they were talking about different ways to get into different alt or states of consciousness. And the one thing that was like, a, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> like a, like a big wow moment for me was it doesn't have to be something crazy like acid. It could be something as simple as incense because incense can cause an altered state of mind. And that was something that I had never considered, but it's true. There's a different vibe that goes on when you have incense smoke filling a room. So it doesn't have to be anything crazy psychedelic because incense isn't really psychedelic. That being said, we're going to talk about those things. <laughs> but for anybody who's like, oh, well, I don't alter my state of consciousness. If you burn incense, you're altering your state of consciousness. Completely agree. And there's been some recent research that's come out that frankincense, that incense that Catholics love to billow about their giant churches, has psychoactive components in it, and it's and it's an antidepressive as well. Yep, I do not doubt that at all. <laughs> I love burning incense. I mean, it's just like a such a chill type of vibe, you know. Oh, totally. And it's really underrated, but I mean, it, you don't even have to think about like the smoke of it too, because, you know, sometimes people can't deal with that for various reasons, asthma or where they're living or whatever. You can also look at it like caffeine or tea. There's a different altered state of consciousness you get when you're drinking chamomile tea versus chai tea. Very much. Totally. And, and I, I want to go back to a point that you made that subtle, the subtle quote unquote experiences that we have when we drink a cup of chamomile tea they do bring us into an altered state of consciousness. And, and just because they're kind of, quote, mild or subtle does not uh, mean that it is not a powerful situation. I would rather have um, a mild, subtle change in my perception than taking acid and having the concern of like, well, is this an actual visionary experience or am I just tripping balls? 
and and we'll and we'll talk about that too. That like taking too much of a, a substance. There's that fine line of is the plant being a guide or are they <laughs> dragging me, kicking and screaming all the way through hell, showing me things that I don't want to see. Oh my goodness, that sounds awful, <laughs> terrifying. No fun, no fun. I'll, I'll talk about some of my experiences on using cannabis, which for most people is not a hallucinogen, but for Eric, it most certainly is. <laughs> One of the substances that humans have likely been purposely making for a very long time is, is alcohol. And we've been fermenting alcohol for probably the past 30,000 years. Um, after we figured out how it was done. Before that, we were probably drinking fermented um, water that berries had fallen in and, and, oh, this is a magical stream or something like that. But when humans started um, or stopped traveling about and started staying in one spot and, and, and growing crops and things like that and cultivating the land around them, they started to make beer and um, cultivating tobacco to smoke and cultivating sacred cacti and, and things like that to to have these visionary experiences. And we, we've used all sorts of things. I, I mentioned um, uh, cannabis and, and cacti like peyote, but also mushrooms and strange berries and plants and roots and all sorts of things to, to get high and to cause visions to, to appear and to create a feeling of oneness with the, with the universe and with each other as well. This was often a very communal um, activity for a lot of our, our early ancestors. And many of these substances were also medicinal. They relieved pain, they relieved anxiety, and these were considered holy and sacred uh, plants. Um, such, a, for example, such as yarrow's ability to stop blood, but also if it's fermented into alcohol, it um, releases the thujin that's in yarrow, which creates um, LSD um, type experiences for those who drink it. Um, and certain people became the keepers of these powerful spirits and substances, such as um, shamans and wife, wise people and priesthoods. And uh, one could make the argument that entheogens became the bridge between humans and gods. Ultra states of consciousness brought on by psychoactive substances, since we first ate a, a mushroom or a strange flower, have become holy states and uh, are probably where a lot of the early beliefs and stories and myths about the world came into being. I was talking to a friend that there are some people who believe that the fruit that was in Eden was probably a mushroom of some sort. And that gave us, eating that mushroom gave us consciousness. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And and the, in the Vedic texts, they talk about soma as the drink of the gods. And soma was likely made from fly agaric mushroom, those little red mushrooms that you see with the little white dots. That was a very important mushroom for Eastern Europe and Eastern Asia. The Siberian shamans would, would feed these mushrooms to reindeer. And when the reindeer would urinate, they would gather the urine in a bowl and then they would drink it themselves. And then they would fly off to the gods and start speaking utterances for the villagers in the, in the community around them. And then when the shaman urinated, then the community would drink his urine. And this was probably one of the first psychoactive drinks. They would drink the, the reindeer's urine. The shaman would drink the reindeer's urine. And then he would go off and have these visionary experiences and speak to the gods and, and bring back the utterances of the gods for the community. And then when the shaman would urinate, uh, the villagers would drink his urine and then they would make love to each other and, and have strange visionary experiences. And the reason that we, that this urine became psychoactive was because of the fly agaric, of course. And we know now that the, the constituents, the constituents in fly agaric, they pass through the, the urine and they pass out of your body when you urinate. So you can just keep drinking urine and just keep getting high in, per, in perpetual <laughs> perpetuity <laughs> forever. So if Bear Grylls was a shaman, he would just be set for life. Basically, yes. 
<laughs> you know, there's something you said, there's something to be said in general about psychedelics and how in the Garden of Eden, they thought that that might link to consciousness, mm-hmm. whatever, like what they ate. You know, there's been so many countless, countless stories of people talking about being on psychedelics and mentally communicating with other people on psychedelics. And when they sober up, (laughs) they can actually recall what happened. I mean, they can explain word for word what the other person was thinking with the other person confirming it, which is pretty cool. You've seen Midsummer, Yeah. Oh, I love that scene. And that is my favorite scene in Midsummer. Well, one of my favorite scenes, but that's like probably my top one. I was, I was actually just talking about that scene to somebody last night too. Yeah. Where there's that point where that part where she's like, in, sorry to anybody who hasn't seen it, just close your ears for a second. <laughs> where, where she's like, we're talking to each other. And she's like, well, I don't know Swedish. And she was like, well, now you do or something. And it's just because they're on that drug and they're able to have this line of communication. It's it's really interesting. And, and one other thing that you mentioned about, you know, the shamans flying off to the gods. <laughs> it's like, well, that kind of reminds me of witches flying off to the Sabbath. Oh yes, and 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 that's um, I, I I think that witches in in Europe at least are are a continuation of some sort of shamanistic tradition that got got passed down. And um, I was mentioning before that a lot of these substances were also healing. So um, witches were said to make this salve that they would rub on their skin or. Some people say they rubbed it on broomsticks and stuck it up their hoo-ha, but that's actually not true. (laughs) There's no historical narrative for that at all. What they probably did was rubbed it on their broomsticks and then just rode it like a horse, and the the ointment would secrete into their their thighs, and they would get high that way. Um, These salves had belladonna, aconite, henbane, hemlock sometimes, mandrake, you know, these very powerful nightshade plants that um, were used for pain. They, they, were, they were topical pain relievers and they were used for, um, as, as an anesthetic for surgery and things like that. So they were, they were healing plants, but of course they made you high off your balls or your vagina or whatever you have down there. And um, much like people take Vicodin today and they go tripping and they're just laying in bed and they can't move and they they have weird dreams and all like that. We've been doing that for ages as humans. It, it makes the pain better. So these witches were likely maybe using these salves that by then, ha- the, these plants that were being used by then had a reputation for being the devil's plants, of course. So they were likely using these salves uh, to get high and go party somewhere um, and have these strange visionary ex- experiences. There's a, a grimoire, and I want to say it's the grimoire of Abramelin, but I could be wrong, um, that talks about this magician meeting a witch who uses this flying ointment and she, she rubs it all over herself and then she lies down and she doesn't wake up for like eight hours. She basically just passes out. And the story is that the magician and his assistant are kicking this witch and trying to wake her up, but she's so deep in trance that she doesn't wake up. And when she finally wakes up again, she said, oh, I traveled and I flew across the sea and I met with all my witches on an island and we had a a lovely time with the devil and all this stuff. And the magician says, but you didn't move. You've been here the entire time. Which to me proves that this is a visionary spirit releasing experience that these people are having. But because, and I don't know if anybody listening has ever hallucinated on drugs, it's real to you in the moment. And back then, of course, they didn't have any idea of how these things worked. It, it was real to them. You know, um, <laughs> I, I read this article, and this is kind of like a, you'll see, like I read this article a long time ago, maybe like um, let's say pre-COVID, <laughs> like because oh, I remember I had somebody over like a week later and we were talking about it, uh, and it was about this historical event that ha- or instance that happened that was recorded back in back in the days of the witch hunts, you can say in, in Europe, and it was this long, long, long article about sleeping and about the spirit and traveling through the realms when you're asleep, and the short version of this in incredibly long article. I don't think I've ever read an article this long in my entire life. And that's saying something. 
<laughs> was that this boy, this little boy said that in the, while he was sleeping, he flew off, he met with the devil and he signed his book or whatever, and, but he didn't know like it was, you know, the negative connotation or connection with the devil. So he came back, told his mom, his mom was freaking out. They like go to lock him up and there's all these guards in a room with him. And when he goes to sleep, because he was so convinced that in the middle of the night, he would go in the woods and he would party with the devil. A hundred percent convinced about it. And so they locked him up and there were guards in the room and he went to sleep. And when he woke up, he was like, oh, I went out with the devil again last night. I was there. I'm sorry. I, did. I tried to stop going, but I went there. And the guards were like, no, you weren't. Like you were here all night. And he was like, well, I tripped and cut myself on the way there. And they were like, what do you know? You were here. And then they took off his shoe or something. And he had this big cut on there that was not there the day before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this was something that actually happened. If I can find this article, I'll put it in the description for this. But it was a long time ago. I read it, uh, well, months ago. But no, it, it just, it just, it's interesting <laughs> to see how historical things like that are recorded, and it, it just kind of makes you think. I, I, I know the the story that you're referring to. Um, I was just looking up the 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 child you're referring to. I believe his name was Hans. Oh, I, yeah, I think that, that sounds familiar. The werewolf Hans, yes, the little boy who went with the devil and turned into a wolf. Um, this, this thing that you mentioned that, that these witches, and I mean, you, you hear the stories all the time of um, hunters see a hare running by and they shoot it in the leg, and the next day old granny has a, a bullet wound in her thigh and things like that. Um, this is a very interesting thing um, uh, that, that, that goes on, and... Um, there's, to me, there's no explanation for it other than the, Magic. the witch is <laughs> out there as some sort of animal, <laughs> you know, um, I have no explanation for it. It's very, it's very interesting. You know what, though? I actually just had this conversation with my HP and HPS uh, last weekend, how back in the day when they would say, oh, I shapeshifted into, you know, an owl, a, a rabbit or a hare, whatever you want to say that they shapeshifted into. And these were actual real accounts of, of people saying this in front of a jury, you know, admitting, quote unquote, that this happened and they slipped away a dance with the devil. And it's, you know, you kind of got to think about it. These people knew that no matter what they said, they were going to be put to death. And they, you know, they're over here saying, yeah, I turned into this and I did that and I did that and I flew away. And chances are they were just purposely fucking with the court because they knew no matter what they said, it was going to happen. They were going to die because these women were in men we're not turning into owls. They're not turning into rabbits. I mean, maybe if they take a lot of drugs, they may assume that they are, but it's very common to hear these stories. And it's kind of, it's like, that's a badass thing to do. I mean, like the whole situation is completely terrible, but it's like, these people had no idea that hundreds of years go by and we would be learning about them talking and saying these things of, Hey, this is when they fucked with the court and made them all go and like, a big hurrah about, oh my God, you turn into a, a rabbit, <laughs> when in reality that never actually happened. That's that's very interesting to think about. And you think about Isabel Gowdy, just these grand stories that she's telling about going to the Downy Hills to meet with the fairy king and queen and um, shooting people with elf arrows and, and interesting things like that. And I, I mean, I have no doubt that there were actually people out there. Maybe they... Maybe they heard about some of the stories that were going through in some of the trials. They're like, well, we're going to go out there and get really drunk and go summon up the devil and, uh, and go rabble rousing around. I have no doubt that there were people actually out there trying and doing things, um, but we have no evidence of which one was which. So there were, there were, there were a lot of interesting stories out there. Um, I do not believe of course, that people are actually physically able to shapeshift. But I have Absolutely. certainly seen a lot of people become possessed by animal spirits to the point where they believe that they're the animal spirit. And they certainly look like the animal when you're looking at them. So uh, um, I don't discount it entirely, but I don't think people are actually out there you know, shrinking down and turning into rabbits. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm certainly not shape-shifting into an animal during my free time. 
No, certainly not. But lots of dreams and astral experiences of turning into turning into animals. Some of them brought about by um, taking flying ointment or or cannabis or or however. And and that also brings up a good point uh, that I brought up earlier about like, is it a hallucination or am I having an actual visionary experience? And I, for me, it's always um, how much have I taken, <laughs> and am I freaking out? If, if I'm heart palpitations and sweating and like not having a good time, I am probably not having a, a legit visionary experience. Um, and I'm probably hallucinating and tripping. Thankfully that doesn't happen as much anymore because I know how to do dosing now. I'm better at that. But if I can do it while I'm sober, the the entheogens that I take just increase and enhance the experience that I can already do while I'm sober. It's it's kind of like you don't go to circle horrendously drunk, but if you have a glass of wine before you go into circle, you're going to be loosened up a bit more, the power will flow more freely, and your experience will be enhanced slightly because you're in an altered state of consciousness brought about by drinking a glass of wine. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So this subject of flying ointments has become really popular, especially among the so-called traditional witches that, that really made a boom since the 2000s. And that is partly in thanks to uh, a, a young woman named Sarah Ann Lawless, who lives up in Canada. And she uh, started selling flying ointments that she crafted herself. And she experimented and She's a very good herbalist, and she she took the time to experiment and, and do trial runs and, and then sell very high-quality, excellent flying ointments. Um, her website is Banefolk, if, you, if you're interested. She sells them as medicines for, like, if you have bad knees like I do, you can put, them, put the salves on your knees, and it really helps with muscle aches and, and going to sleep if you have insomnia and all sorts of wonderful things like that. But you can also use them in a ritual sense to have very powerful visionary experiences. Uh, but as I mentioned, a lot of the ingredients in these flying ointments, they they're high in alkaloids that, that can get in your kidneys and, and they, can't, they are dangerous. They are dangerous substances. So you, you want to be careful. And if you go out trying to craft it yourself, you know, you better have a lot of knowledge and experience with these plants or you're not going to have a good time. And and if you do want to experiment with them, I'm not trying to in inhibit anybody from experimenting with flying ointments that have these plants in them, but you want to get it from a good, reliable source, from someone who knows what they're doing. And just like any sort of uh, trip that you're taking, you know, be a good stoner, drink lots of water, Drink lots of or eat lots of good food, healthy food for you. Have a, a buddy with you if it's your first time. You know, don't go tripping alone. Uh, have have blankets with you. Sometimes you can get really cold when when you've taken some substances. So you you do want to be careful when you're doing these things. You know, um, but but if you don't want to to take these um, plants because you just don't want a very strong experience, if you want something a bit more subtle, I like using mugwort. Mugwort Artemisia vulgaris is probably one of the most versatile witching herbs that we have. It's good for scrying. It's good for divination. It was a um, it was used in cleansing fumigations throughout uh, Europe and the United Kingdom. It's good for dreaming. It's good for offerings to the dead. It's good for protection um, incenses and and charm bags. It's it's an excellent plant. I love mugwort. And it can be used in a variety of different ways to enhance your visionary experiences and to raise your perceptions. You can make it into a wine. Uh, you can put it in teas. You can, and, and I shall say, uh, if you do the drinking method, it's really, really, really bitter. So you want to mix it with lots of honey if you're going to drink it. It's very bitter. And you also don't want to drink it too regularly because it'll give you uh, upset stomachs. It was often used in tandem with wormwood for worms in the stomach and, and things like that. So uh, you don't want to drink too much internally, but having some in wine for a sabbat or something is very nice. 
Uh, for the wine, what I do is I just take a big bottle of red wine, put an ounce of the herb in there and let it steep for a month or so. And then you mix the wine with a lot of honey. <laughs> and then you can have a, a glass of that um, while you're doing your Sabbath. And it'll, it'll uh, raise your perceptions. It's very nice. I do want to give a disclaimer for mugwort. It, um, it definitely should not be used by pregnant women. Yes, thank you. <laughs> it's not up. safe. It can also cause allergies in people who have allergies to different plant families like uh, ragweed, chrysanthemums, marigolds, daisies, a couple other herbs. So if you're interested in using mugwort, be safe. Make sure you're looking to make sure it's not anything that's unsafe for you. If you are purchasing some sort of flying ointment that you find on the internet, Guys, do your research and uh, tell somebody if you're taking it, try not to take it alone. You know, the thing with flying ointments is that it's not like you're taking acid, but there are flying ointments that are made with more intense chemicals like Tura or any of the nightshades. Oh, yes. And those can be very, very dangerous and very, very poisonous. Mugwort, you can buy it at the store. It's not crazy or anything like that, but still be very, very, very cautious if you are trying to use any sort of flying ointment. Yes, you are, you are absolutely correct. Um, thank you for, for bringing up that disclaimer. Uh, mugwort was used as an abortifacient. Um, there's, also, um, there's also use for it that if you are, if you are uh, getting cramps from your, your period, you can do a nice sits baths for your feet and that apparently helps a lot um if you're interested in more information about that i recommend the book witchcraft medicine by christian ratch a very good book that has a whole chapter on the use of of mugwort um yes uh what you were saying the, these flying ointments they they're 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 a drug they're going to get you high you need to be you need to be prepared for that. They're not going to give you this the like if you've done acid or anything like that, the visionary experiences that you get from a flying ointment are not going to match that. Because LSD is very powerful and you are meant to like hallucinate on that. Flying ointments and other entheogens, they're aids. They're keys to different doors in the other world. They're not meant to make you fall over and pass out for a long period of time unless you take a ton and but that's your decision um i i say it's better to just use it as an aid so that you're still in control because we're doing this is is in a ritual format it's a sacred thing we want to be in control so that we can raise the necessary amount of power so that we can actually do the experiment that we're trying to do rather than falling over all over ourselves, spilling candles, setting things on fire. You know, you don't want to set the high priestess's house on fire. She won't be happy. Oh, no, she um, won't. No. <laughs> and neither will anybody else. And no. nobody will be happy for a very long time. That's right. <laughs> and you will never come to circle again. Permaband. So um, one of my favorite ways oh, uh, uh, to, to take mugwort um, is it is it an incense when I'm doing divination? You can mix mugwort and wormwood together to make a, a really nice incense to for your for when you're doing cards and when you're scrying. It's really great for scrying. Um, you can make a wash from the mugwort, and if you have a scrying tool, you can use that to wash your scrying tool. Um, and you can also smoke it in one of those long Gandalf pipes. Um, I really uh, highly recommend mixing it with some mullen if you're going to do that, because it makes it less harsh on your throat. Um, and that's that's a really nice way to take it. Um, one of my favorite ways, though, is to make a nice ointment, a nice salve, if you want to be really witchy and, you know, salve up your, your wrists and your temples and your feet and things like that to go fly to the Sabbath. I recommend making a, a mugwort salve. And you make the salve like you would any salve. Um, I do the folk method, so I don't do any fancy measurements or anything like that. I just put some mugwort in a jar, cover it with some olive oil until it's about um, an inch and a half above the mugwort. And then you let that infuse in a dark place um, for like a month, 
for in, uh, if you want to go all out, you can incorporate the moon. So you start it on the full moon and you infuse it until the next full moon. Or if you're impatient like me, you can do a heat infusion. So you, you uh, and you can look up instructions for this uh, um, practically anywhere these days. But to do a heat infusion, just use a, a you can use a double boiler or a slow cooker. Put the jar in there and and let it infuse for a couple hours until it it gets really herby and turns a really nice dark color, and then you mix this with um, beeswax, and it's about one part beeswax to four parts of the, oil, the infused oil. Strain out the herb, mix in your beeswax, and and then wait for it to sit, and then it will become a nice little salve that you can put into tins. Um, and if you like, if you're really good with essential oils, you can put some essential oils in there to, to make it smell really nice. I was recommended um, to me by a friend the other day of using mugwort essential oil and putting that in the salve. And mugwort essential oil smells absolutely amazing. It's like, I heard you like mugwort, so I put mugwort essential oil in your mugwort salve so you can have your mugwort while you mugwort. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> back for everybody who used to watch Pimp My Ride back in the early 2000s. You can drink your mugwort so that you have your mugwort with your mugwort and put your mugwort in your turkey. You have your mugwort on your turkey with your turkey. <laughs> My gracious me. I made a, a nice dreaming oil last night using a, a recipe from Daniel Schulke's book and you just rub it on your, your temples and it smells amazing. And the dreams that I had were very vivid and powerful. So yes, yeah, so you can mix some essential oils in there and then you rub it on your wrists is a really good place. Behind the ears is another place that I like to put it. Um, on the chest feels really nice. And you can also put it on your ankles where, where your, your, your veins are, the pulse points. Anywhere where you feel like a warm, area where the joints are is really nice. And you want to rub until you can feel some heat so that it can soak into your skin easily. Or if you're next to a really nice roaring fire because you're having a jolly time at the Sabbath, you just sit in front of the fire for a little while and let that absorb in there and go dancing around with all the, the witches and imps and devils and dancing animals, if you like. You know, that's interesting. When, when I, uh, I was at a work or um, a pagan pride and they were selling flying ointment and they had a whole workshop on it. And they were talking about how, if you're taking it to put it on like your thighs, like your caps, um, just rub it in there for a bit. But it kind of sounds like you could take it almost anywhere. I would probably not take it generally. <laughs> I would no, not recommend that. Not. <laughs> do not do that. No. I would also recommend not eating it. Yeah, don't don't eat yourself. <laughs> yeah, don't eat it. Don't put it in your eye. Don't put it where you shouldn't be putting things like that. <laughs> there are salves that that uh, that you can get that Sarah Lawless makes. Um, she better pay me. I keep plugging her stuff. Um, <laughs> um, that you can use on your genitals, but th they're made in a, a certain way so that the essential oils don't burn your your between me down there. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah, I, the other one other thing I will say with flying ointment, if you are using it, and you're trying to figure out where you want to put it, one mm -hmm. of the recommendations that was talked about at this uh, workshop I went to about it was that you want to put it someplace where you're not going to bump into things or accidentally rub it off. So for example, if you put on a little bit too much flying ointment, you don't want to have like, let's say, for example, you put it on the back of your legs and then you lay down in your bed to wait for it to take effect or whatever you want to do. If you end up finding out that you accidentally took too much flying ointment, now you have to deal with it soaked into your comforter <laughs> on your bed. So make sure you put it somewhere where when it's drying and absorbing, it's safe. It's aired out. You're not going to bump it into anything. I've also heard that the recommended dose is about the size of a dime. It's pretty small. And especially if you're making a salve, one thing to keep in mind with that is that it's an oil-based item. And a little bit goes a long way because it melts and what you think might be a little tiny dot turns into a gigantic area on your leg. Yes. You, you bring up a, another point. You, if, if you think you might be allergic to mugwort, you can do a simple test. Um, just take a little, a, a little bit of the infused oil, put it on the back of your hand, and let it sit there for about 
20 minutes or so. If it gets all red and hivey and everything, you probably shouldn't be using it. <clears throat> and that goes for any flying ointment as well. Um, and you said a dime size, which for me is like ridiculously small. <laughs> but, but that being said, you should start small. Start with a little bit and wait an hour. See how you feel. Do some trance-inducing exercises. Do some deep breathing. Do some dancing. Lie down. Do an astral projection and see how you feel. How does it affect you? If you feel like you're kind of just getting the same experience, put on a little more and then find how much you personally need to have a strong experience or a stronger experience than you, you normally would. A lot of people also like using flying ointments to scry, which is something I talk about in one of my very early episodes. Um, it's like terror, different types of divinations. I think like the second part of that. But if you're not familiar with scrying is, it's looking into... I want to say reflective surface, but not really. So most people scry using a black mirror, which is just imagine a mirror, but it's black. <laughs> you stare into it. But you can also scry using a bowl of water. You can scry using flame. There's a lot of different ways to do it. But I, I know a lot of people that when they are taking flying ointment, they're taking it with the purpose to actually do some sort of meditative internal trance work or, or something like that. Although you can certainly take flying ointment and do a ritual too. But Yes. That's up to your preference. If you are taking something for the first time, though, and if, you know, I would maybe recommend try some scrying, <laughs> do that first before you're in a giant group setting or before you do something crazy active because you don't know how you're going to react to it. And if you're interested in learning how to make a scrying mirror, go find that episode I mentioned. <laughs> uh, I have instructions on how to make a scrying mirror for $2. They're super easy. I love scrying. It's really useful. And if you don't have a mirror... Just close your eyes. You have, a mirror, you have a black mirror right there. It's perfect. Some uh, uh, some ointments lend themselves more to like ecstatic dancing and things like that. Mugwort for me is more calming and relaxing. So I wouldn't use mugwort to go dancing and, and to, to, to reach ecstatic states via dancing or singing or anything like that. Um, for, for me, I like to put the mugwort on before I go to sleep because it really, really lends itself well to dreaming states. Um, so putting it on and just lying down and, and having much more vivid and memorable dreams than I normally would. Yeah, sounds like a cool thing to do. And I do, I know a lot of people also drink mugwort tea before bed. Oh yes, that, that's something I used to do when I was younger. Uh, it's just, it's really bitter. If you haven't tried it, <laughs> I recommend trying it. <laughs> Just just so that you can say, I've had mugwort tea. But it's really, really horrendously bitter. It's, it's one of the Artemisias, which are notorious for being the bitterest plants in the world. Yeah, so that goes back to drink it with a lot of honey. <laughs> copious amounts of honey. And if, if you don't want to do any of these, um, you can make a, a little dreaming pillow that has the mugwort in it. And then when you go to sleep... Um, hold that in your hand and make sure it's kind of near your face so you can inhale that mugwort while you're going to sleep. And that's another way to really help with, with your dreaming state as well. Yeah, there you go. But again, you know, I do want to stress if you, if somebody is interested in doing this and this goes with flying ointments in general, be cautious, you know, be responsible, be an adult. It, it can be poisonous. There have been, unfortunately, fatalities that have come out of this throughout, you know, throughout history, not just recently. Like this has been a thing for a long time. So do your research, be smart, test out things. If you're going to take some oil or if you're going to make a sow, for example, please test it out first a tiny amount before you actually use it. Keep yourself alive, guys. <laughs> right. We're, we're here to have a good time and dying is not a good time. <laughs> Exactly. And remember, you can always do more, but you can never take less. That's right. Yeah. Taking too much is, is not fun either. Yep. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're almost to an hour. What, what else can I talk about? <laughs> it sounds like people have a really good idea about using mugwort, how to maybe make a recipe of it. I believe everybody heard our disclaimer loud and clear that <laughs> you guys are responsible for your own actions. And, you know, Eric and I are not responsible for anything you decide to do. This is all an adult thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
So that being said, you know, be safe guys. If you are interested in flying ointments, use them with absolute caution. Because one of the other things that people have to keep in mind is that when flying ointments are being made, especially when you're buying them online, it's really hard for at-home herbalists or at-home Etsy shops to actually be able to measure out the psychedelic mill or the milligrams coming from the different plants that they're using, unless they have some sort of insane scientific test kit. And most Etsy shops are not going to have that, guys. <laughs> Definitely, whatever you purchase, be cautious because you actually never really know what you're getting. That's that's very true, um, especially with belladonna. I mean, each berry might have a different alcoholoid measurement than the next berry, like even on the same bush. So you you do need to be careful with flying ointments and, and, and careful with any entheogen. Like wine is a great entheogen. I love wine. I make it all the time. I have some lovely dandelion wine that I poured out. It tastes like sunshine. I love it. But with alcohol, you have to be careful too. You know, you can't take too much where you're crashing all over the place. These, these substances open us up really easily to the spiritual realms. And when I was younger, <laughs> I used to drink to the point where I was like prophesizing for people that I touched. And I was like, well, I probably shouldn't drink that much anymore. So I had to cut back on my drinking when I'm out in public. So I'm not bumping into people and being like, your mother is going to die soon. Like people don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they don't. They don't want that. Especially now during COVID, they don't want that. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not bumping into anybody right now. <laughs> That's fair. So, That's true. Yes, That's safe. Any substances that you take, you need to be careful and you are responsible for your own actions while you're on those substances. Less is more. Everything in moderation, including moderation. Yep. And remember too, if you are interested in altering your state of conscious, but flying ointment sounds a little bit extreme, there's always incense. There's always tea, you know, mugwort tea's up there too, but you can also take less intense tea. You can even drink coffee. You can't tell me that coffee is not a mind altering substance because I go from, I turn into a very different person if I drink too much coffee. <laughs> yes, very much so. I love coffee, but I'm very sensitive to caffeine. And if I drink too much, I am just bouncing off the walls and then usually feel a little nauseous after, but I just love the taste of coffee so much. So me too. Me too. <laughs> all right. Well, Eric, do you have any anything else you want to add about mugwort or anything we talked about today? No, I, uh, I I just I encourage people to to do lots of research before you, before you try any of these things, and uh, and I'll also put this out here that you do not need to take or use flying ointment or any entheogens at all in order to be or practice witchcraft. I want to make that very clear that it, it is not required by the grand high poobahs of witchcraft, whoever they happen to think of themselves as. You do not need to take any entheogens. You can reach altered state of consciousness through breathing, dancing, singing. You um, Meditation even. Meditation is an altered state of consciousness. Like You can reach these states very easily and have very profound experiences with just breathing. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're not condoning drug use, but we're saying if you are interested in having an altered state of conscious, this is a good educational tool to know about. And, and, and it's good to know your options out there. But doing these things is not required for witchcraft. I have personally never been in ritual on a drug. So, I mean, if you include incense and wine, which technically... <laughs> <laughs> it's a mind altering substance. I've definitely done witchcraft with wine and incense, but I've never taken a flying ointment in circle. And I don't know if I ever will. It might not just be for me. I have, but <laughs> <laughs> that might be a story for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I have lots of stories about flying weapons <laughs> and all sorts of fun things. Oh my goodness. Well, Eric, let me ask you the question I ask everybody at the end of the episode. If you can give an absolute beginner one piece of advice about anything, doesn't have to be about what we talked about today or could, what would you tell them? It's not a race. There is no end all goal for witchcraft. Don't compare yourself to the most recent hot blogger, blogger that's on Tumblr right now because... You're on your own journey and they're on theirs. So don't don't compare yourself and it's not a race. I love that. It's definitely not a race. It's not a competition. If you are a spiritual person, if you're Wiccan, 
one of the ways you could think of it is the gods aren't going anywhere. They're there. If you're not Wiccan, if you're not spiritual, the elements, they're not going anywhere. They're still there. Energy is not going anywhere. It's not a race, not a competition, you know, and this is for life if you choose for it to be. And even multiple lives. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sometimes even multiple lives. (laughs) All right, Eric. Well, thank you so much for coming on. If anybody wanted to get in contact with you, ask you questions or just, you know, say hello, how can they reach you? I have a blog on Tumblr. Um, It's eocane.tumblr.com. And I also have my Instagram, Fairy Angus, at Fairy Angus. You can contact me either of those ways and chat me up. And I love talking about witchcraft and discussing things and, and giving advice to to young witches that are, are seeking the path. I will link your contact information in the episode description. And as always, anybody can find me on Facebook at Seeking Witchcraft Podcast or my Facebook group, which is Seeking Witchcraft, where I do ask people to submit questions for future episodes. And I just generally like talking to people in that group. So <laughs> definitely join the group if you haven't already. You can also find me on Twitter at Seek Witchcraft, on Instagram at Seeking Witchcraft, on my Patreon, which is also a surprise, Seeking Witchcraft. <laughs> a lot of Seeking Witchcraft. And speaking of Patreon, I do want to give a huge shout out to the Witchlings, Neophytes, and Seeker group. You guys are amazing. I am seriously so close to being able to buy a microphone. I think by August, I will actually be able to do that. If this episode comes out in August, then this might be outdated. Who knows? <laughs> because we're recording this in uh, July. But yeah, super excited. I think that's going to be coming soon. And I am so stoked. And I really appreciate the support, everyone. So thank you again, Eric, so much for coming on. I think this was such a helpful episode. And I got to tell you, everyone who's listening, when he approached me with this topic of talking about different altered states of consciousness and flying ointments, I was so about this. I was like, oh my God, like I hadn't even considered this as a topic. But yes, Everybody knows the story about witches flying to the Sabbaths with a broomstick and some questionable things on that broomstick. Eric kind of just explained why that might not actually be a thing. (laughs) A little bit. Just a little bit. But flying ointment is such a cool topic. I think this was so cool to talk about today. And I'm so grateful that you came on and discussed something that I don't know a ton about. And I'm happy that you did. So you were able to share it with people. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a this was a lot of fun. This is my first podcast interview, and I was really happy to to share my information. Thank you. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, and uh, I'll talk to you guys all later. Bye bye. 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 With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards found them. Software engineers found that project manager I could never seem to hire and found LinkedIn jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.